Today on the Foscast, we're here at Carrington again. We are talking to Nick Cox, Director of Academies here at Carrington. We spoke about how exactly he maximises a young player's potential, what it looks like, that pathway from academy into the first team, the loan system, how that works, the fine system, and the very special, secret special gift every academy graduate gets given. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg... This is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Of the Foscast. Nick, welcome to the Fozcast. I've got to start with last night, Manchester United played Wigan in the FA Cup. It was the 249th Manchester United Academy graduate to make his first team debut. Talk to me about that player in question and how proud are you? Is it almost like, you know, like your, your kid's first day at school and you sort of like push him off through the gates and go, have a good day and, and, and do well. I'm proud of you. It's exactly that. So you've arrived at the right time. Um, 249. Like a, a, a debut is a big day for the player in particular. Last night, Amari Forson been with us since I think he was about 15. Um, it, it's a landmark moment that we definitely celebrate. Deep down, we know that there's still a lot of work to be done, and a debut doesn't necessarily mean a career, but it's a start point. So it's a, a big moment for staff to celebrate, for players to celebrate. Um, but definitely the feeling when you're, I was watching on the TV last night rather than being there, there's a sense of pride yeah. but there's a sense of nervousness yeah. and a sense of excitement it's exactly that it's like watching kids watching young people that you've seen grow over a period of time go and do something do, do you know did you know he was going to get on the pitch do you have do you have sort of do you have to wait and see how the game goes say if like man united are four or five nil up or something do you think oh, come on just chuck him on please yeah. just chuck him on so obviously we're aware he was in the squad and he's had a, a few opportunities to be in the squad in, in recent months um, knew he was going to be in the squad last night so without knowing that he's definitely going to get on the pitch you've got a good sense without being disrespectful to Wigan a good sense that if we can put the game to bed then there's a chance of some debuts here so I was watching last night willing the old can we get to three or four so we might get some kids on so we got there we, we saw the game out comfortably didn't we 2-0 yeah. um, and you've got a sense that he's going to come on but you don't know until the camera pans to him kind of getting on the touchline, getting ready, and that's the point at which your phone goes crazy and all the staff are messaging each other. Because it's a big moment for everyone. There'll be a, a landlady that's been looking after yeah. him and there'll be a, I don't know, there'll be a, a driver that's been picking him up and dropping him off to school and school teachers and coaches and all those people yeah. will get a little ripple of, we helped 
We did our little part. bit. We did our bit. And so this morning when you come in, there's a... And what, what is it like this morning then when you come in? So how are you, are you really wary of the, the emotions that that player's going through? Do you know what I mean? He's probably had the biggest thing that's ever happened yeah. to in his life happen just hours before. When he arrives into training this morning or tomorrow morning, is there certain steps you have to take? Is it just straight away just giving him, giving him a hug? What? Yeah, so we'll acknowledge it. But ultimately, he reports for first team training and he's got to get on with business. So we've, we have to... We've, we've got to kind of promote that type of Manchester United attitude, haven't yeah. we? Which is, yeah, great. Well done. We're delighted for you. What's next? Oh, really? You've got to go and get on with the job. And Cobby May knew when he made his, his full debut in the Premier League just a few months ago, very much the same. He walked in, everyone's pleased, everyone's smiling, shake hands, high fives. You've got to get on with it now yeah. because like, a debut is really important. But we talked to the boys about, you know, if you can get to 50 games... You might be able to call it your job. If you can get to 100 games, right, this might be your career. There's a lot that can happen between 1 and 100. So much as, you know, since the boys are really little, they've been dreaming about the day that they put a red shirt on and, and debut, um, it's kind of actually the beginning of a new journey rather than yeah, completing yeah, yeah. the journey, isn't it? It's like you, you finish a chapter, it's, right, this is going to be tough. That's the Man United mentality, right, is on to the next week. We did a podcast recently with um, Andros Townsend and he said, I think, when he made his debut at Spurs in an FA Cup game, he scored, got man of the match, didn't play again for the rest of the season. Was loaned out, wasn't he, I think, yeah. the next, the very yeah. next day yeah. or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. And he, he said it was yeah. kind of humbling and going, right, that's just, like you said, that's a yeah, little yeah, yeah. tick, little box ticked. So um, a messaging that we use around here all the time is about how the journey is rarely linear. It's really rare to see people go in a straight line to success. Young players that are the best player all the way through a program, make debut state. It does happen, but it's once in a generation. It is Marcus Rashford or it is Wayne Rooney. The typical journeys are kind of, they twist and turn. There's setbacks, there's failures, there's a debut, there's a loan period. You get in the team, you don't get in the team, you pick up an injury. We talk to the boys all the time that like don't ever expect the industry to settle down. What you've got to do is you've got to find a way of rolling with the punches you've got to find a way of staying constant knowing that everything around you is going to be a little bit crazy typically boys that have been the best players in academy programs probably haven't experienced not being picked not having good games not being the best player on the pitch part of our job is to try and create that environment along the way show them challenge show them struggle but actually, there's nothing that quite prepares you for what it's going to be like and, and when how, you get in that squad. How how then do you help those younger players? You know, like like I said, I think I've got a theory that all footballers that make it to a professional level have always been the best player in their team. Always, I'm talking from seven year, years old messing about with their mates and playing Sunday league football. They've always been that best player, haven't they? They've always been the one that scores the goals, faster, quicker, bigger than everybody else always getting told that they're the best. Oh, you're such a good player. You're such a good player. Like I say, never getting dropped. And then when they finally make it up the ranks, they make it up the ranks and they make it into an academy team and they're not the first pick. They're not the starter. Is that where somebody has a job role designated to them to almost sort of... It's the mental health side of it, I suppose, really, is where you have to put an arm around them and say that this is how it works. This is how it happens to try and make them understand it. So my approach is probably a little bit different. Manchester United's approach is a little bit different. I think from the outside looking in, people would assume what we're going to do is pick the best players. Now, obviously, we try and recruit the, the highest potential players into the programme in the first place. But people would then assume that what I do on a weekly basis is at every age group, pick the best team, try and win every competition, try and you know 
lift trophies. Yeah, just win at all costs. Win, win at all costs. costs. That's the perception, and there'll be maybe potentially lots of grassroots teams out there that function in that way. That's not our job. Ah. I don't get any recognition for winning things as teams. I've got to help individuals reach their full potential. So I'm duty-bound to make sure that all of the boys get lots and lots of exposure on the pitch. There's no point signing for Academy and being the substitute for three years and then getting released. That would be pointless. If we're going to um, offer the, a boy an opportunity to be here and they're going to make some commitments in terms of being here three or four times a week and their parents are going to drive big distances and put petrol in the car um, and bring all the other kids with them to training, well, what we need to do is give them a proper education. Mm. So this is like a, a school. We're trying to educate players the game, the match day, is just a vehicle to teach players about the game. So we've got to make sure everybody plays. But the really important one is I've got to make sure that everyone feels a little bit of struggle. I've got to put kids in really difficult situations. Resilience. Yeah, yeah. So slowly you build resilience by showing young players tough environments. So when I say tough, I'm never going to, we're safe and we're never going to put kids yeah. in danger. But, but they've got to regularly try things that are difficult, regularly experience failure I'm sure through your career your best learning would have come when things went wrong yeah so I've got to make sure that skillfully over time I can put boys in environments where they go oh that was a bit difficult ah right I know what I need to get better on now because under pressure against the best players I can't quite do x or you know when I go and play in the big tournaments y lets me down and I need to go and refine that so we're regularly trying to put the boys in in a world where they feel a bit of struggle but then mix it up with opportunities for them to express themselves. And, and can, and, you, and can and you see that in certain players? Can you see their their different makeup, that different mental makeup of you just know that some people are going to take to it like a, like a duck to water. You know that as soon as you expose them into that first team or it could be making their debut for the under 16, 17, 9, whatever it is. Do you see it in them straight away where you think, I just know he's going to be all right. Whereas with others, you have to sort of just get a taste and bring it back, then yeah. taste, and then just slowly build it up. Yeah, every player is different, and that's the that's the importance of making sure that this program is about individuals and not teams. Each of our players is going to need a different type of support. Some kids might be psychologically really strong, need some help with their techniques. Other kids might be incredibly athletic. We need to, I don't know, work on their resilience. Some kids, you know, everybody needs something slightly different. So the art is having brilliant coaches that can kind of stand back assess boys, um, strengths. We talk about the strengths all the time here. It's about let's talk about what the players can do rather than what they can't. But sometimes we might just have to brush up on the bits of their game that might stop them from expressing their strength. So we've got to have skillful coaches that can work out each little player as a little puzzle and a package and then carefully put stuff in that's place that's going to help support you, them. You say that about the, the kind of strengths. I've done a little bit of reading recently about... Um, you know, strengths and, and areas to develop. Mm -hmm. And is, is it fair to say the United approach, if somebody shows world-class ability at mm -hmm. one thing, why focus all your time on trying to get the, the area they're not so good at up? Yeah. Just surely make it competent yeah. or good enough. Yeah. And then you go, no, what you're really good at, yeah, yeah. Let's, that let's, yeah, that world-class level, yeah. Yeah. that's what you're going to do on a pitch. Because no one, very few players are everything on a pitch. It's only the... Stephen Gerrard's, the Wayne Rooney's in the world, got everything. have got everything, right? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the players don't have to be perfect to have top careers. You need an outstanding quality. So every one of our players has got to have something that might yeah, get them picked yeah, yeah. by the manager. 
in when they're 17, 18, 19, 20? What is it you do? Do you stop goals, score goals, make goals? Are you a dribbler? Are you mega competitive? Are you just really consistent? You've got to have a thing that is your thing that might get you picked. Um, but we spend most of our time, how do we make your strengths world class? And how do we just brush up on your weaknesses so that they don't hold you back in terms of expressing who you are? Um, so we talk, um, we use, a, or I use a, a phrase all the time, push strengths, hide weaknesses. That's what we've got to do with each other. How do we push their strengths and hide their weaknesses? And again, I think what we're brilliant at here, and always have been, not, not just in my time here, like seeing individuals for what they are and celebrating that kind of individual difference and letting kids express themselves in terms of who they are rather than trying to turn them into something what not. we want them to be. Yeah. And again, this club's been amazing over the years. It's been really patient with the late developers that are, like Tom Cleverley would be an amazing mm. example, right? He had a program for him that they knew that he had unbelievable character. They knew that he had great techniques. So there's a period of time where he just needed that nurturing and help. He might have to play down an age group, might have to just select him for the games where we knew he could cope. It's obviously before my time, obviously. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I was uh, at Watford when he came on loan, and I'm obviously many of the staff that are, are here now talk about his time so I can piece it all together. But there had to be like a really bespoke plan for Tom to make sure that when he got his man's body, he was ready to go. And, and I'm sure that goes for career. everybody else then, doesn't it, as well? I saw, there's a, uh, we were speaking before, before we started the podcast, by the way, that 249 Academy graduates now have made their debut for the Manchester United first team. That accounts for about half mm. of all players that have played for Manchester United have come through the Academy. That is, that's just mind-boggling, isn't it? Yeah. And like, I'm always clear to point out that they're not my stats, they are the club stats. Yeah. Like, I don't own those. There's loads of great work on over well, 90 years of youth development at this football club. So it's 249 debuts. That's half of all the players ever to play. We've gone 86 years with a youth product in a matchday squad without breaking that cycle. Wow. And I think in the modern day, we're, we're the most productive in terms of players playing across the leagues. Um, in the country. Do you know what would be an interesting stat to say actually is is how many players that have come through an academy system at Manchester United actually went on to have a career in football because I like I say we were talking about Tom Cleverley a minute ago there and I just searched up the the youth team that Tom Cleverley was in for example and straight away I'm looking at a picture of this team here Tom and so you've got Ryan Shawcross you've got Craig Cathcart, David Gray, who played a little bit, played up in Scotland, Darren Gibson, Fraser Campbell, uh, Fabian Brandy, played for a bit, Ron Robert Zeeler, goalkeeper, mm -hmm. who went and was third-choice goalkeeper for Germany at the World Cup when they won it. Um, that's just one youth team. And there are quite literally, you know, there's hundreds of them sort of youth teams at Manchester United where players, yeah, sure, they might have made one or two appearances for Manchester United, but they went on to make a full-on career from football as well. Yeah, it, it's astounding. And as I say, that. 
all of those statistics and, and, and looking at all that track record of players, the, the most amazing thing about it is it's not forced, it's not fabricated. We haven't deliberately tried to manufacture like two, four, nine debuts. We haven't tried to manufacture one player in every squad. The manager wasn't even aware of it, I don't think, and, until it happened. In fact, all the staff weren't aware. It was actually a supporter that worked it out, uh, an amazing kind of wow. historian supporter, I think, called Tony Park, um, kind of was looking at um, squads and thought, he onto something here, I might be able to work this out. He worked it out and presented it to the club. And that's what makes it powerful is... All of this is just what we do. Yeah. It's just how this you, place you haven't functions. haven't tried to force it. It's, it's just not naturally forced. happened. It's not manufactured. Yeah. It's not a PR stunt. It's just like, this is just how it's unfolded over 90-odd years of working with local, local players. To yeah. try but and it, you say it's not manufactured, team. but the, the manufacturing process of the academy is, is phenomenal. So one thing we were, we were going to say move on to, which was those players that didn't, make it in mm -hmm. the first team and have mm -hmm. 20, 30 appearances, 100 appearances. They go elsewhere, like Ben said, and they're playing up and down the country, week in, week out, every team off camera we mentioned. There's always a United graduate yeah, on either is. team yeah. somewhere. Yeah, there, there is. is. And actually, Ben, we, we talked about it when, when you've been at Watford, West Brom over the years and you have United players come out. One thing they're, they're known for is they set standards, yeah. right? So mm -hmm. look, Tom Cleverly, again, we use Tom as an example, but... Tom set standards yeah. wherever he goes, yeah. wherever he went, didn't he? And now he's on this um, kind of coaching programme, elite yeah. coaching programme of, of players that have played for England that are going into coaching. Is, is that something that United instill? So players that go out on loan, for example, like the, Man United have always had a fairly close affiliation with certain clubs, Watford being one of them, um, where they will, it's kind of like a given that they will loan them a player like once <laughs> a season or something like that. But every time that Manchester United player arrives... They, it's almost like they know how to be a professional better than some of the other lads in the team because it's it's instilled in them from this football club. Um, well, it's a nice compliment. I think Troy Deeney might have said it on this yeah. this show actually, yeah. didn't he? He talked about the young. I think when he's playing James at Garner, Birmingham, we, we, sort of kids. Plenty, that, yeah, yeah, there's Hannibal, like, Hannibal at Birmingham. They, so they were his words that when United boys walk in the dressing room, there's a sense of oh right I get it there's a United player there by the way they conduct themselves by the way they introduce themselves and by the way they behave throughout the period of the loan which is an amazing compliment to us um, I guess what we're trying to do here is not only produce good footballers but produce good people yeah. so we want them to be humble and grounded and we want them to be disciplined and we want them to have a load of skills that are primarily going to help them be a great footballer I think all of those you know, personal qualities give you a better chance yeah, of being a good doubt, footballer. Yeah, yeah. But they also are going to set young people up for adult life, right? The amount of boys that have been through this program that come back and talk about the jobs that they're now doing away from football. And they'll talk to us about, well, I reckon I'm good at my job because I know how to be on time. I know how to yeah, be disciplined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know how to hold myself. I, I've got manners. And, and so that's a nice spin-off. It's a nice kind of the fact that it prepares you for a life away football away from football is great but definitely the way and we're not how do we do it well it's in our everyday behaviours so if we go on tour we make sure that like staff are in blazers and the kids look immaculate mm. and I guess you might those those things might be seen as a little bit old school but we just see them as um understanding how to represent an organisation. Yeah, like, can, I, can, can I say something on that quickly? But when we, obviously, when I was at United, when, obviously, it was Sir Alex Ferguson, so standards were, it was, that was the bare minimum, genuinely. Just just hitting the standards was the bare minimum. Um, I remember we used to, if we would play away and we would fly, 
then we would get on the plane and you would get changed almost instantly the second you got onto your plane. So you arrive, you're in your suit, you've got your tie on, everything's that I'm talking top button done up. You don't even dare not have your top button done up. Tie to the top, perfect. You look immaculate. You got your shoes on, shined, everything. The second you get on the on the plane, you would take your suit off, put it into its hanger, hang it all up nicely. Everybody's all labeled up nicely, perfect. You would get into leisure wear, shorts, t-shirt, everything like that. It might be a three-hour flight, it might be a, a six-hour flight, no matter what it was. Within half an hour of landing, it would be, right, lads, everybody back into your suits, get dressed again. You get off that plane looking exactly the same as what you looked when you got on it six hours previous. And that would be it. It would be that, oh, Man United are in town. And it carried so much weight. I promise you, it carried so much weight. The blazer is... It's a small detail, but it seems to ripple through mm. every environment that we go to. People talk about the kids in the blazers with the United yeah. crest on. It's not a difficult thing to do, um, but it seems to impress people. More importantly for us than it being about standards and discipline, it's actually a tribute to everyone who's worn the blazer before. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if we'll get into this, but our youth programme's got real strong connections to how this football club survived the war. So we came back from the war because we had a youth programme and young players. We survived Munich because of young players. Mm. We've won European Cups because of young players. And actually, there's a real pride in everyone who's ever pulled on a Man United blazer with the crest on. So we make a big deal about presenting the blazer to the boys when they sign their first full-time contracts with us. And we explain to them what it means, what the privilege it is. So it's, yeah, it's about standards and discipline, but it's also about respecting and understanding everything that came so before that, you. So you oh, will, when they yeah, sign yeah, this, you will give them a blaze. Oh, that's beautiful. That's yeah. a lovely touch, yeah, yeah. that is. And, and when you said about the players going on loan, Ben, and you know, and you said about, is this something that is worked on with the coaches within your team where you'll say, small things, you walk in a room, you shake someone's hand, look, look them, them in the eye. eye. Yeah. Is it, are these little personal touches something that you actively work on with young players? Um, yeah, but not necessarily in a way that they would know we're actively working on them. So it's all within Subtly the environment. Done, yeah. We're not sitting down having classes and elocution lessons. and It's not formal. It's just really informal. So the boys just know that they might... We're, luck we're lucky here, aren't we? That Because we're a global football club, we have great opportunities to take our boys around the world to play in amazing tournaments. And we've got resource, all right? So the fact we've got some resource and we're, we're in the spotlight allows us to show boys opportunities that are probably going to prepare them for adult life more so than at any other club. So if we're going on tour with the under 10s, there'll be subtle things we threw out that week through the likes of some of the long-standing staff that have been here, through Tony Whelans and Dave Bushell and Eamon Mulvies, who've been here for collectively, whatever, 150 years. Um, There'll be things we through that week designed just to educate boys about this is how it is. So it might be presenting the hotel staff at the end of the trip with a Man United pennant, but it's one of the kids that makes the speech yeah, that nice. says thank you. And that those kids will be nervous because it's like, oh my goodness, I've got to speak in front of everyone at the hotel and I'm nervous. But like that, just slowly, before you know it, is what it feels like to do your first TV appearance yeah. when you've made your debut for the first team. So we're just throwing bits in like that along the way. And it's really deliberate, but it feels informal. So is it, is it, it's kind of, um, and it's a question I did actually have for you is, is the initiation thing then still a thing? Because it's, it's, a, it's a smaller form or a, or a similar form of 
when that player gets into his first team or he travels with the first team for the first time, when you're at dinner and you hear that dreaded clink, 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 yeah, yeah. and that young player knows what's coming and he has to get up and do a speech or a song, is that still happening? I hope it is. Yeah, Please yeah, tell yeah. me there, that's still happening. Will, it might look different. There will be staff and players now that are singing on, as part of their initiation yeah, yeah. on their first trips, on their, their first involvement with the squads. Uh, I listened to the likes of Darren Fletcher, talks about what initiations might have been like, yeah. and you hear some of the stories. <laughs> I, it's probably changed a bit. It's probably yeah, a sure. modern version of an initiation, but yeah, absolutely. And the Christmas panto, the Manchester United famous Christmas panto. Um, I remember... Tell the, us what it is then, man. <laughs> so basically, every year, it was, a, it, was a, it was something that happened every year, and it was, it was a fairly big deal, you know, that... On the Christmas Day dinner, so every so it would be probably I don't know three or four days before Christmas, the whole squad, the first team, the the youth team reserves, all the staff would sit down in the canteen. We'd all have Christmas Day dinner, um, like I say, three or four days uh, prior to the big day. Um, but the youth team would put on a pantomime for everybody to watch, and it would be it would be very Man United themed. It would be it's taking the piss out of some players basically and it's brilliant and but they had to put some proper work into it i'm talking weeks in advance of this day they would have to put some proper work i'm talking props <laughs> i'm talking a proper script there'd be roles like uh, allocated to everybody um and it was a big deal but it was it was just again it was another thing that was done properly and everybody appreciated and yeah it was a laugh but everybody got a big old round of applause at the end of yeah well done brilliant I'm going to disappoint you. That that doesn't happen anymore. No, no. But no. it is like a legend of the place. Yeah, everyone still talks about it. So I know some of the some of the concepts, some of the things that went on, <laughs> and some of the young lads that had to be part of it yeah. talk fondly about it. Because what does what does that represent for us? That this football club is the biggest football club in the world. Yeah. Um, it's a global brand, but actually, once you get through the doors. It's just an intimate, tight family. And I think that the contrast between those two things is what makes this place exceptional. Some football clubs are huge global brands. Some football clubs are intimate families. Yeah, Watford was an intimate family when we were there. But to be both is difficult. And I think that we are that. There's a sense of togetherness. There's a sense of community. There's a sense of... um, relationships with this place long after you leave. I think people, you know, you leave, but you you always know that you can come back. This is always your home. I think we talked to the boys about um, uh, United once, United forever. Like, once you've been a part of this place, like, that's a relationship that is going to be there for. I think think that's something that probably gets portrayed in the media quite a lot as well, is Mm. that... They, they, I think United gets portrayed as it's a bit faceless, a bit soulless. Behind the scenes, it's all kind of either robots or people just out for what they can get. But I think if you actually, once you're in it, yeah. you realise that, no, it is. It's like, say, Kath's still working on reception yeah, yeah. in the main building. Yeah. She's, she, she, she's been there for 50-odd years. Do you know what I mean? She is that first face you see yeah. when you walk through the building. And that's the bit that I think people don't actually respect for Manchester United. They think it's just a big organisation now, don't they? It's a hard place to arrive to, you'll know that, because the standards are high and everyone is excellent. So therefore, on arrival, you've got to prove that you are good enough to be here. But my experience and observing the arrival of many staff and players in recent years is once you have arrived and once you know that you're the real deal, it, it is a community, it's intimate, it's it's probably as you say not quite how it might be perceived from the outside it's a really tight knit what is sorry sorry nick i've got it just made me think of something though what is the biggest 
predictor of a player making as a footballer? Is it talent or is it hard work? Which one will win through in the end? Hard work, character. So yeah. I, I think I've worked with loads of players over the years that have gone on to achieve good stuff in senior football. Uh, they've all been different. They've all had different qualities and skills. But the one thing they had in common would be character. That's closely connected to hard work. So you're looking for kids. You've got to have an intrinsic love of the game. You've got to be obsessed and in love with the game. You've got to love learning. You've got to be going after, you've got to be really curious about how do I get better, how do I improve. You've got to have some kind of warrior spirit. You've got to show some resilience. And probably what comes out, if you've got all those things, what comes out of that then is hard work, mm. commitment to the cause, and just, yeah, that that is the biggest ingredient required, I think, to play at the and, top level. And and what about these who talk about the mentality? Mm-hmm. Um and working with the players on it because we were talking on the way up about like grassroots football and our lads are 14 got another one who's 10 and I'll see it on Sunday morning when you'll see a player and you'll go wow we're going to lose 15 nil today mm. he's just head and, and shoulders above. and he's going to score 15 goals then something won't go their way and they're out the game and it might be someone's given them a, a, a tough tackle they might have missed a goal something like that and you just see them shrink and how important is it for your guys, your team, to work with them on this resilience? And how do you do this? So if they have a bad game, do you treat them differently? Will it be some of them, just character-based, will go, right, now come on and give them a bit of a kick up the backside or the classic, you know, the cliche arm around the shoulder? Is it horses for courses and very much individual basis? I think what you see last night, Amari Forson or Kobe Mainu just before, what you're seeing is kind of not the finished article but that's the f- kind of the first time our young players are in the in the public eye yeah. and I've just talked about how professional we need to be and how the high the standards are and you know um, how you have to be elite to survive here um, but actually what you don't see is this general acceptance from us that young people make mistakes all the time whether on the pitch or off the pitch and so our environment is I would say probably more child-centred than most places would be. And we're expecting kids to make mistakes, get stuff wrong, be late um, um, for a meeting, accidentally wear the wrong kit, forget to bring their boots, not have a packed lunch. We're expecting all of that because that's just what kids do. So it doesn't look perfect along the way. We see kids making mistakes all the time on the pitch and we actively kind of hunt down environments that are going to see them make mistakes because that's where I believe learning takes place. What happens when you then get regular doses of little setbacks and loads of support to help you fix the problem in terms of a nice bit of feedback or a coach that you can talk to you and sometimes that might be a different approach. It might be, as you say, a little bit of placing demands on young people as well. But once that becomes normal and commonplace, Actually, that's what sees character evolve. That's what then means that players don't lose their heads when things go wrong. That means what players. Uh, that that's what means when a player struggles, it isn't catastrophic. It just goes. That's what happens. I've been here before. I've seen something that looks like it, and they can build on build on that mistake. Will you? Sorry, Pepper. Will you have players that walk through the door that you, you see them at the grassroots? These the, maybe they're hot heads or something. For example, yeah. is that something where a club like Man United will look at them and say? We can work on that, and, and like we were saying earlier on, we're not, we're never going to have the calmest player in the world, but we'll get them. But look at Wayne Rooney, let's yeah. say for example, 
quite known as quite occasionally feisty, feisty, feisty. and you got to go if you took that out of Wayne's game, mm-hmm. he's a different player. So do you look at a player at Exeter and go, we'll bring him in, but we know we can work on him? Absolutely. Yeah, our kids just look like they're they're, they're super talented, but they're just like every other kid you ever see running around a school playground, and we never lose sight of that. This is an environment here, I think, that that is really tolerant of the fact that kids have got different personalities, kids will behave in different ways, they're all different in their approach to the way that they turn up here. Coming from really different backgrounds, by Mm. the way, some will be arriving here on four buses and others will be turning up in a, in a four by four. So we've got to be really mindful of the context of each young player. Where are they arriving from? What were their experiences before they got here? Where are they at in their lives? Where are they at at school? Where are they at in terms of their growth and maturation? What's going off in it? And we piece all that together to give context, which helps us to work with young players to try and see if we can support and help them reach their full potential. Now, there will be a time at which you've got to make a decision as to whether the player stays in the programme or not. But whilst a player is registered here, whilst we've given that opportunity to be here and they're showing the effort and the energy required, we're going to keep working. And our job is really to make sure that we give as many kids careers as possible. Utopia is a career here, a debut here, but actually we're duty-bound to make sure that we help every player get to where they deserve to be. So if I look at the top end of our... Pro- and it, listen, it's really different depending on the age of the player. Down the bottom, we are just having a laugh. We are, you know, 9, 10, 11-year-olds. It is creative and fun and Freedom, expressive yeah. and loads of mistakes and it looks like the school playground. But by the time we get to 17, 18, 19, it's got to feel more like the first team so it's a little bit more ordered and disciplined and structured. Um at the top end, the coaches, the pressure I put on our coaches is you better make sure that all of these boys end up where their potential says that they should be, right? Yeah, so yeah. if we get to the point with a young player where we go, don't think you're going to play in our first team, we don't just give up with them. It's, well, where do we think your skills can take you? Well, I think you could be a 500 games in the championship or 500 games in League One. Well, how are we going to get you there? What are we going to do to support you? So we have to have boys walking out of this building with their own version of success, a debut, playing in the championship. The quality of players in League One, League Two is phenomenal. It's really, really difficult. I don't think people realise how hard the industry is. I think people strive and our kids should strive and dream to want to play in Champions League finals and World Cup finals and some of them will and I'm never going to deny them that kind of opportunity to dream but at the same time you've got to be really realistic about how many people there are trying to be footballers and how high the level really yeah, is it's really. dead easy for people to turn up and watch a game of football and go he's rubbish he, I could do better than that yeah John and, and Chris on Twitter though started. said he's shit yeah, so he exactly. has to be shit alright it's exactly. the way that it goes exactly. that's right, surely League 1, League 2 the conference now as well oh, the level. they are phenomenal players Athletes, that have probably all animals, started in yeah. environments like this players are and the, the resilience required to smash out a 500 game career, you know, and survive from, I don't know, a two year deal in Carlisle, and now I've got myself a two year deal in Exeter. Come on, love, we're yeah, off. That's <laughs> it, yeah. It's hard, it's yeah. resilient, yeah. and some of them won't be earning amazing money. It's superhuman, absolutely superhuman to go and maintain a, a career like that. Absolutely. So we've got to prepare our kids well. for both, right? Yeah. The loans, Nick, as well. So when you were at Wrexham, um, obviously in League Two, in 
National League, sorry, yeah. when yeah. you're in, you look at the team sheet every week. Bear in mind, I've you know been around the country watching Ben play with family and friends and stuff. You, there's a lot of names you notice on that team sheet, and you go, he was at Watford with Ben. I remember him. He was I at West Brom, yeah. and there was like yeah. young lads. I think was was the, one of the striker at York in National League, and he was scoring hat tricks and yeah, yeah, scoring yeah. a load of goals. And you go, this is one player that's dropped down to the fifth tier, yeah, and he's had the upbringing in Premier League clubs and. That's the standard. Yeah. So it's almost like that Premier League, mate. It all filters yeah, down. How, how, it? how yeah. important is that loan system? So for for some of your young lads going out, and who's the who's the person basically that gets the ultimate say on that player should go out on loan to that club, mm-hmm. and at what time? All right. So different for every player, but loans are becoming really really important yeah. because the Premier League is a destination league. Every player in the world wants to end up in the Premier League, so it's a really hard place to debut. Um, and this club's a really hard place to establish yourself in the squad. So even after a debut, you, you, you've not necessarily established yourself in the squad. And there's a big gap between playing youth team football or under-21s football and playing in the Premier League. So we have to fill that gap somehow. And alone is the most obvious way to do that. So it's a really important part of most players' journey. Dean Henderson would have had... Five loans before yeah. he debuted. And I think goalkeepers will yeah. loan a lot more, won't they? So I'm big on the closer you play to the goal, the more chance, more likelihood it is that you're going to have to go out on loan. Yeah. Because those slots are, ah, managers are less yeah. likely yeah. to want to debut someone close to the goal. Yeah, so you, you need, you need reliability at the back, basically. And then this is, it, and this is yeah. at either end of the goal. Absolutely. So wide players and centre forwards probably are going to debut a little bit younger than centre halves ah, and goalkeepers. Yeah. We, we get a rough deal, Nick. Yeah, you so do, yeah. We you get have to wait longer, right? But yeah. your careers go on that bit longer as yeah, well. So it evens out in the end. And even your best kind of central players probably debut. Out wide, Darren yeah. Fletcher debuted yeah. as a wide midfielder. Always knew that he wanted to be a central midfielder, but he debuted out wide. So it's just a bit safer to debut in those areas yeah, than it is here. Yeah, yeah. So you tend to find those might be the ones that go on loan. But also there can be a number of other reasons about who's in, who's under contract above you that might be... A bit of politics pre- or something preventing like that. You, might, you just yeah, can't get yeah, past someone, yeah. so we've got to put you out to bring you back. So um, this is where it becomes a little bit collaborative. So... Certain players might be already on the first team radar and that's a bit of a combination of obviously the manager with some kind of final opinion on Mm -hmm. the timing of a loan. Me and Darren Fletcher trying to think about where the players are going to go on loan. A little bit younger before they hit the the first team squad. That's a little bit more of a straightforward decision because we're not trying to think about whether he needs to support the, the needs of the first team. So that would be me. And then influential staff here, 21's coach, Travis Binion, uh, 18's coach, Adam Lawrence, a loans programme manager in Les Parry, so a dedicated team that are going to look after the boys once they're out on loan. So there's no kind of rigid process or, or, or familiar process that you go through to put a player out on loan. It will look different for, for everybody. Some players won't need one. Others might need four or five. Others are going on loan to prepare them for our first team. Some are going on loan to prepare them for a life away from here. Um, what we've done in recent years is what we call the uh, pro experience. So before boys are ready for a loan, imagine if you've been here since you were nine. You've played on the best pitches. You've had shiny everything. amazing kit. You've gone everywhere on nice cut. And we try and make it as humble and as simple yeah. as possible and deliberately pick, can you put us on the crap coach yeah, rather than yeah. the good coach? We want to keep the kids reasonably kind of in touch with the real world while they're here. But if you've had 10 years of that, 
you don't actually know what the real world of football looks yeah, like. Sure. And you're definitely in your journey going to have to walk into a new dressing room and that's a hard thing, mm. first day at a new club. So when boys are kind of 17, 18 here, before they're ready for a loan, we'll send them off for a week to go and train with someone else's first team. So we've got loads of friendly clubs around the country, but we'll make them find their own way there. We'll make them go yeah. and do a week. What sort of league, what are we talking team? about here? Like League oh, Two, so, or it could be um, non-league, it could be anything. What have we done? We've done um, Sheffield Wednesday, Forest Green, Preston, Barrow. We're looking for the right environments to put your young players. So that's probably more so on a loan. But you, you want to know like, what does my what does this young person need to improve upon? What environment might they need to improve? that area of their game so you're looking at a club's playing style you're yeah, looking at their yeah, staff yeah, yeah, yeah. you're looking at the league they're in and the trends of the league so you might be putting players abroad rather than in this country depending on, on what you so you're trying to find the perfect fit but it doesn't always work like that because actually trying to place a player on loan for the first time is really difficult because yeah. managers don't necessarily want to give someone their first go they'd rather give them the second or third go yeah, yeah, sure. so sometimes it's just we place a boy wherever we can yeah. but we're striving for utopia, which is can we find the right coaches, the right geographical location, the right playing style. But even then, it doesn't it's always it, go. It's play. so managers tough get sacked a week in. And, well, man yeah. Managers want experience, but how are players supposed to get experience yeah. if they're not? If people aren't willing to give that's, them that's, their chance? It might be that they they, they go have that first one at a, a national league, yeah, and league then two, slowly, then, yeah, slowly, then a slowly. league one, a champion. Yeah. But what does the care look like when they're? At the club, so let's say they're a League One club, for example. How do Man United keep their eye on the player? What does that look like? So it's a careful balance because part of the process of going on loan is um, standing on your own two feet and establishing yourself in someone else's culture, someone else's environment. So if we're all over it and we're trying to control every move, we're actually denying the player the opportunity to look after themselves, take ownership for their, their own development and find a way of making that loan be successful. But it will, also, if we just left them for a whole window without any communication or, or contact, that would be pretty negligent yeah, of us as well. Yeah. So we're trying to get that balance. So Les Parry and his team will be watching games regularly and having reports and we'll have all the footage back and the clips and the highlights so our coaches back at base can be seeing the football side of things. There'll be regular calls to consider all the off-pitch stuff. Are you eating properly? What's your accommodation like? Mm. How are you getting on? It might simply just are be... They, are they sorting all that? Or is a player sorting his own sort of like if he's staying in a hotel? Because ideally you'd want them to like rent a place. Yeah. If it's a year's loan, for example, you'd want them to rent. You don't want them living out of a hotel, do you? So our boys, when they go probably 18, 19 will help support them in that process yeah. of making sure that we've Get got them set, set up. up. Yeah. And it also depends on the infrastructure of the club that you're arriving to. So if you're going to, um, I don't know, if you're arriving to Sheffield Wednesday, a different experience to Cambridge United, mm. for example. So um, both wonderful clubs, by the way. Uh, Barrow as well, wonderful club. I didn't mean to yeah, badmouth exactly. you, yeah, yeah, by yeah, the way. Yeah, except <laughs> now I've said Sheffield Wednesday yeah. A wonderful a class. Times, I just yeah. lost a load of friends at Sheffield United, but you know what I'm on about. I don't want to. All these clubs are doing brilliant jobs with the resource that they've got. Our job is just to try and fill the gaps and support where not every club is blessed with the same resource we've got. So if we can just help with a little bit of support in terms of, I don't know, it might be some clubs won't have 
access to a gym. So yeah. we might be getting gym memberships so the player can ah, do okay, extra yeah. sessions in the afternoon. But that's part of the process as well. Boys going on loan, coming back, and you're like, go on. So when they do the pro experience, we get them to present to us what were your findings? And they're like, I cannot believe it. Like we had to take a packed lunch and wash our own kit. No. It's like, yeah, that's the real world. Imagine it's that. like that is yeah. how it goes. That's yeah. what the majority, that's what ninety percent of footballers in this country yes. are doing. So it's brilliant that you've experienced it because that could well be you at some point on your journey or I don't know, players that uh, they're training in um, school premises or they're training at the local leisure centres. Um, there's no gym and they've got to go to the gym up the road. All of that, for me, is about an education for our players about what the football landscape looks like because we don't know where the boys' journey is going to take them. Yeah. We need them to be really respectful and understanding of the realities of the football landscape. And we've got to prepare them really to be able to cope with whatever comes their way. They, whatever happens in their careers, we need to have made sure that they've seen something that looks like it before. The thing is, so you, they've got you, a reference. You've point. got such you've got such a lot to watch out for as well. Like each individual player, for example. So say you like I say you send our player out to Exeter for the season. You'll have somebody watching him. Um, you'll have somebody liaising with the club, liaising with him, making sure everything's going all right. You're watching his performances on a Saturday afternoon. Is he eating well? Is he like sometimes when players they leave their parent club, they're like. I can just go and live out of a hotel. They're eating Mackey D's for dinner every night. They start to put on a bit of weight and stuff. I've seen it myself. Yeah, yeah. Then you've got to watch out for their social media. You've got to watch out to see what they're getting up to. Like, I yeah. guarantee you there'll be a whole team of people here watching every single yeah. young player's social media, Absolutely. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all that kind well, of look stuff. What happens, ben. And look looking what, at the story to see what they're up to. Look, look what happens when a young player will... Like Michael Richards here, burst on the scene. Yeah. <laughs> but when a young player will come on, one of the first things that the media love to do is go, 2009, you tweeted that and that yeah. and that. And it happens so often, doesn't it? So it's like nicely onto the point of social media. There are good things about it. There are a lot of pitfalls about it. But how, how do you manage that? And yeah. how do you keep the lad's feet on the ground? Because it's different to when you were a young player, Ben. You didn't have that adoration on social media, did you? It was barely even a thing when I was there. I think Rio and uh, Wayne were about the first people to mm-hmm. like get a Twitter account or something. But even that at that time, that's what I'm talking about with the standards. Alex Ferguson hated it. I mean, he hate, despised it. The fact of even having a Twitter account or having a voice that you could put out there, mm-hmm. no chance. That didn't fly very well whatsoever. So it must be so tough for you guys just thinking, please don't do something stupid. They're young. They're going to. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're going to. So um, I think that's the first point: is that acceptance that over the the years kids haven't changed, yeah. right? So we use this saying: there's one thing that kids like less than rules, and that's no rules. Yeah. Kids will play on the fringes of the rules. Yeah, give them an inch. That's what they're designed. That's what every human instinct makes you want to push the boundaries and test the. You know, do these people yeah. really mean what they what they say? So whatever the, the, the avenue is for a young player to kind of express themselves in an individual, they will do. So it's social media at the moment. would have been something different when you were a young player. There'd been another way of testing the boundaries. Mm. So like, I don't get too uptight or worried about it because I just accept that that's human nature. Young people will push the boundaries. Sometimes they'll cross the line and they'll need a little bit of education. But what we do do is spend a lot of time trying to prepare the boys, make sure they've got the knowledge and the information about how to best use. Social media can be, well, you're a great example. Social media can be so powerful, right? And used in a correct way. And actually your platform as a footballer can be 
really powerful. We've seen that certainly in recent years through yeah. through kind of uh, the pandemic and all those things. Footballers' voices Marcus travel Rashford a in long way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I want boys to express themselves. You want young players to be the best version of themselves. So we try to educate them around. You'd have been media trained when you were here, but get kids in front of cameras and get them well versed in is that, to, is that is yeah, that absolutely. genuinely something you do it's almost like a mocker a press conference yeah. or mocker yeah. an interview after a game again we're lucky we've got MUTV but we can get the crew to mock up a post-match interview and try and catch them out a yeah, little bit nice. and we're yeah, just trying yeah, to teach yeah. them how to how do you get your personality across yeah. but how do you also represent the organisation at the same time um, so there'll be lots of media training going on. We'll talk to them about how to use social media. We'll have workshops on the pitfalls of how you can accidentally get yourself. Like we're trying to help our players. It, it, we're not. We don't ban kids from using social media because we don't like it. We're educating young kids about social media because we want them to be protected. Yeah. So it, it is really possible as a young player with a high profile to get yourself into a mess mm. on social media by saying the wrong thing or there may well be an unintended consequence of something that you, you put out there. So we'll educate the boys. We will try and help them to understand how to use social media appropriately. Um, and that involves, yeah, workshops, but that will be the same for nutrition. That will be the same for driving, teaching kids about how to drive appropriately, particularly when you get your first contract and you can have a faster car than most 18 year olds would. So we'll talk about <laughs> the that. Insurance on we'll talk about nowadays. insurance oh on the cars. Oh my gosh. So, so I think the thing that's come through for me, a big thing is that you don't want to stifle um, the youngster's personality mm. or character. Yeah. You want to, to give them the tools yeah. to make good decisions. Yeah. Um, and it's also not just our responsibility, right? So you, you talked um, at the beginning there about how do we keep, people grounded and humble when the spotlight comes on them well that's largely to do with their upbringing as well that's largely yeah, to do with the influence of their mates that's largely to do with the people they were hanging out with at school or teachers it's like we are a part of their journey we are not the sole influence on them we're i think we're a, a powerful influence and a positive influence but it's a collaboration isn't it there's all sorts of influences that that will affect the, the way mold. a young player yeah, behaves I mean, one, and the decisions one, they make. One thing I wanted to speak about, because this is something that affects older players, Ben, potentially even retirement age players, is, um, don't often hear it talked about, is homesickness. Mm -hmm. Is this, this must be a contender yeah. that you have on a, on a daily basis, right? Yeah, absolutely that. So boys that join us from outside the area are going to go and live in a, a, a host family, one of our family accommodation Dig, providers. Digs are still a big thing, Digs, they, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So And deliberately so. Yeah. We like the boys to escape the training ground. We like them to go and be a normal person. Live a, with a family. With a family, yeah. yeah. So yeah. they'll be staying with families. Some of our families have been working with us for, I don't know, 25 years or so. And those families are amazingly caring but really highly skilled. Mm. You tend to find that they're former teachers and social workers that... They're not doing it for money. They're doing it for the um, the satisfaction of supporting a young person to to achieve great things. So the boys will be living in a community just around the corner from here, in a host family. Um, we want them to be part of that family. They're not just going and hiding away in their Playing bedroom. The we, we want them to go and embrace being part of that family. But homesickness absolutely is is something that we have faced on a regular basis. Like boys for the first period of time when they come full time here. They've got to live away from their families. We have to help them get through that. Now, that's where I'm really lucky, is that I've got staff that have been helping young boys to arrive here 
for years and years and years, and they've they've worked with hundreds yeah. of boys over the years. And, so, and you, your staff must have had the odd call over the years, something like, "How do I put the dishwasher on?" or something, or washing machine. <laughs> there must be those tasks that they they have to learn, right? Ben, yeah, what was no. it like for you when you were young? Yeah, it's exactly the same as that. It's it's how do I do this? How do I do that? I wouldn't be ringing my club to, yeah. to <laughs> so everybody could expose me, like <laughs> at work or anything. But I might be ringing my mum or dad or something. But for sure, you do. It's yeah. life skills, isn't it? You're not you know you're not blessed with them until you learn. But it's like that pro 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 experience you said is 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 double edged, isn't it? Because it's a pro experience, but it's also a real life experience. Yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely. And we will have boys that bring us up with some of the most outrageous questions about how do you do X, Y, and Z? Is it, can I turn the washing machine on or how do I book a train ticket? And it's great that they phone us, but our response is usually, I'm not doing it for you, but I will show you how to do it. Yeah. Right? That's education. Now, that might be a little bit different at first team level. If you arrive to one of the super clubs and you've gone there on a, 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 you know, a massive deal, their job is to remove all barriers so you're not putting any effort or energy into Anything other some than of the, the things other than focusing on how do we win at the weekend. For me, it's a little different. Yeah. Like we can't just go around solving the problems for the kids because they're never going to survive, stand on their own two feet. So our job is to say, absolutely, glad you phoned. I'll show you how to do it. I and still, I'll, I, I, I'll be honest with you, Nick. I still think some of those basics still need implementing with first team players, and I genuinely do mean that. I think there's so many barriers removed that it's all too easy for some for some first team players. Anyway, um, we're coming to the end, Nick. This has been absolutely fantastic. I've got a couple more questions. Um, I want to talk about goalkeepers in a second, mm-hmm. um, but before we do, do players still get fined at an academy level? I'm talking professional academy level, so sort of 17 to 23s. Yeah, absolutely. When boys are earning money, yeah. that is one of the tools that Brilliant. we might use. That's so keep, good to hear. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. it's for everything like being late, late for meetings, uh, messy, something yeah. like that. So I might have painted a picture here that this place is just a bit of a free-for-all. It's childlike and we, yeah. we want kids to express themselves, but we've still got standards and rules and the players might have helped create those rules with us, but we've still got levels of discipline that need to be met. So you want to make sure your kids are on time, wearing the right kit. Um, yeah, yeah, all of those things. And one of the methods of reminding players of how to conduct themselves might be to find them. Nice yeah. little find. I love yeah. that. Um, and then quickly, before we go, um, I just want to know what the... Um, it's modern goalkeeping nowadays is it's very much sort of you've got to be good with your feet. Everybody knows that now. It's a, it's a massive thing. of We want to play out from the back. We want mm-hmm. to play out from the back. Is that something that Manchester United, when you're searching for a goalkeeper, you're scouting, you're, you're working with the players that are here currently, is it something that is a, is a bigger factor than what it ever used to be? Yeah, absolutely. So we're trying to produce players for the modern game. So what will the game look like in yeah. 10 years' time, 15 years, 20 years' time? And that's the, the emerging trend, isn't it? So we've got to be really understanding of all the trends of the modern game, almost try and predict where the game might go to in the future. So naturally, when I started 20 years ago, we weren't focusing too much on the goalie's ability to play with his feet. It was how do you keep it out the net. Now we're trying to educate and select players that might be comfortable playing with their feet. But I don't think you can ever lose sight of the fact that our goalies still need stop to be able to catch it, stop it going in the net. It's, you've got to be able to do both, right? But yeah, it's uh, yeah. So, but it, it's certainly changed, definitely. I won't lie. I'm, I'm glad I was born in my era <laughs> and not this era. I will not lie. Um, Nick Cox, thank you so much. We really appreciate that. You shed so much light on, it was brilliant. on what you. goes on. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. And you're doing a fantastic job. Um, and when that 250th 
United player gets through to the first team, sooner academy graduate, later, I'm sure it will be sooner rather than later, then all of you give yourself a good old pat on the back. You've done a fantastic job. Nick Cox, thank you so much. Of the Foscast. Of the Foscast. Cheers, 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 cheers. Thank yeah, you very thank much. Thank you, Nick. Really cheers, great. Well. cheers. Thank you. Thanks everybody for watching. We hope you enjoyed the latest episode of the Foscast. Don't forget to give us a follow on Spotify. Up the Foscast. <laughs>